Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is another live edition of the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North, Canada's most irreverent talk show on Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. I promised you yesterday we would do a full show devoted to what I think we are allowed to now call the RCMP scandal. I feel like we can elevate this to scandal proportions. Now, admittedly, this puts it in a large category of incidents that all seem to involve many of the same people, namely Justin Trudeau and and some of his closest and longest-serving cabinet ministers, in this case, Bill Blair. But Let me know what you think. I would say this is the RCMP scandal, maybe the RCMP affair. You can kind of pick up uh, one or two of those words if you like. I don't like gates. We have too many gates. So I'm not going to call this Lucky Gate or RCMP Gate or Brenda Gate or anything like that. But it certainly is a scandal. And I want to just give it's a very simple scandal, too. And this is what I love about it, because oftentimes, like SNC-Lavalin, for example, another great liberal scandal, there's a lot of confusion and it gets very muddled and it becomes very easy to evade accountability because you have to sort of explain a lot of context. With SNC-Lavalin, it was okay, well, there was this company that was doing stuff and there was this prosecution of the company and there was a deferred prosecution agreement and Trudeau wanted the Minister of Justice and Attorney General to offer it and Michael Wernick was involved. And I mean, certainly it's a clean narrative and you got a lot of the information out. But for a lot of people, they've never had the good, the misfortune of having to care about SNC-Lavalin. This is a very easy case to understand. There's an inquiry into the massacre that took place back in 2020 in Portapique, Nova Scotia, in which some guy pretended to be a police officer, went around and, and just killed people senselessly. It was a terrible, horrible tragedy. But instead of just mourning, the Liberal government used it as a springboard for gun control measures that are still in place, that they're still championing. And what was happening is the RCMP wanted to do what the RCMP generally does, which is not talk about what was going on in an ongoing investigation. I know it's sometimes annoying to journalists, but it's the standard protocol, specifically when it came to which guns were being used, which guns had been involved in the crimes, how they were acquired, and all that sort of stuff. Well, the liberal government wanted the RCMP to reveal that because they thought it would help them sell their gun control plan. And we know this because Brenda Lucky, the RCMP commissioner, had a meeting in which she expressed she was disappointed that the RCMP in Nova Scotia were not doing that. And she acknowledged that she, quote, made a promise, unquote, to Public Safety Minister Bill Blair and the Prime Minister's office to, as the Halifax Examiner aptly puts it, leverage the mass murders of April 18th, 19th, 2020 to get a gun control law passed. John Broussard in the House of Commons, the Conservative MP for, I believe, Barry Innisfil, he summed it up pretty well what the key issue at stake is here in question period this afternoon. Take a look. So, Mr. Speaker, this is, this is critical because according to the commander's notes uh, in the Mass Casualty Commission report, the Commissioner Lucky promised the Prime Minister's office and the Public Safety Minister's office that they would release the information in an active investigation that 
that she was in, that she was discussing, it would appear that somebody from the Prime Minister's office and the Public Safety Minister's office was directing Commissioner Lucky to interfere in an active police investigation when the investigators on the ground said they didn't want to. Who in the PMO and the Public Safety Minister's office directed Commissioner Lucky? The Honourable Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I'm very pleased to confirm that no one in the, in the Prime Minister's office or the, the Public Safety Office exerted any pressure or direction on the Commissioner of the RCMP. The Commissioner of the RCMP engaged with her officials, and she has already confirmed for the Mass Casualty Commission that no such direction or pressure was ever given by any member of this government. It's hard to square what was pretty clear in the actual documents that we've been able to see versus this very clear denial from the government. And remember, this is not a government whose ministers are used to giving concrete and clear yes or no answers to simple questions. So they must be confident they've covered all their bases. In a, a statement yesterday by Commissioner Brenda Lucky, she said, I want to acknowledge the information included in the foundational document issued by the Mass Casualty Commission. She goes on, I would never take actions or decisions that could jeopardize an investigation. I did not interfere in the ongoing investigations. She says, the sharing of information and briefings with the public safety minister are necessary, particular during a mass uh, shooting. She says it's standard procedure, doesn't impact the ongoing investigation. She takes police independence seriously. It goes on and on and on. She says that she regrets the way she approached the meeting, the meeting that was conveyed in those documents and the impact it had on those attendants. My need for information should have better weighed against the seriousness of the circumstances they were experiencing. I should have been more sensitive in my approach. So she's not denying that it took place. She's saying, well, you know, they, fe they felt it differently. She, she, this is like the old Trudeau line of they experienced the meeting differently. In any case, I'm ranting here. We'll have plenty of time for that after. I want to bring in uh, Andy Brooke, who is a, an absolute Twitter legend and al has also served this country in the RCMP, and he knows uh, this issue and, and many others very well. Uh, Andy, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you very much, Andrew. Now, you know, as a journalist, I, I must say I'm always very annoyed when I feel police after something happens are being too tight-lipped, but they do cling to that idea of not sharing information for ongoing investigations. And I know it can be annoying as a journalist, but it's standard practice here. So the idea that they were going to deviate from that based on a promise by the RCMP commissioner to the government tied to legislation... I, I, there's no earthly policing justification for that, is there? I think to take one step back in, in your monologue, and you raised it, and it was a, it's a good point, this promise that was made uh, by the commissioner to uh, someone or both to people in uh, Bill Blair's office or the PMO, the promise uh, that originates from handwritten notes that were made by a superintendent that was present in this meeting that occurred with uh, Commissioner Brenda Lucky. And there was a very few people in the meeting. Uh, I'm just looking at the list here. It seems to be, uh, appears to be the commanding officer for H Division, H Division being Nova Scotia. Uh, Leather, Leather is a chief superintendent. He'd be the criminal operations officer. Incidentally, he disappeared kind of out of the picture very early in that investigation. I noticed that as it was happening. Uh, there was also the Nova Scotia Communications Director, Leah Scanlon, and a superintendent, uh, Darren Campbell. 
It was Darren Campbell's notes, uh, which the commission refers to, handwritten notes, and they're referred to as being made immediately following the meeting. And that's not referred to anywhere else. It's not referred to in Parliament. It's not referred to in any of these uh, media reports we see. The fact that Darren Campbell made, Superintendent Darren Campbell made those notes immediately goes to the credibility of what's written in those notes. The statement by Commissioner Brenda Lucky was made, what, yesterday? You know, in response? I mean, that carries a lot less weight. And I can comment on that more if you wish. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. And and when you, you parse the statement from Commissioner Brenda Lucky, and I, and I don't want to read the whole thing again, but, you know, the key aspects here, are she's acknowledging this meeting took place. She says it was tense. She regrets the way she approached it and the impact it had on those attendants. There is nothing in there that is a denial. Now, she, she does say she didn't interfere in the integrity of the investigation, but that's a judgment call. I, I guess the, the question that I would ask is fundamentally, is that request, if it took place as conveyed in those meeting notes is that interference sure it is yeah you, i mean the people the group h division has conduct of has the jurisdiction for that case uh, brenda lucky other than being informed has no business sticking her nose in and the fact just from the tenor and the tone that you get from reading uh, superintendent campbell's notes that even at one point they were saying at the end of the meeting that the deputy commissioner that was present had to talk people down, that there were people, people, multiple people brought to tears. I mean, these are people that are probably not easily brought to tears. So you can leave it to your imagination how intense that meeting was. And you have to ask yourself, what's driving Brenda Lucky to be that intense with somebody? That's not, that's not the Brenda Lucky. Now, I don't know Brenda Lucky. I know people who do know Brenda Lucky. That intensity is, there's something behind that, which go, goes to the political interference point. And, and you made a point, I want to make sure I catch the point you made. That's in that whole statement, and I'm looking at a copy of it right here on my screen, she at no point denies the allegation of political interference. The, pers the people that wrote this and the eyes that it passed under, you know, that nice paragraph at the end where she's sort of mea culpa about how she handled the situation, that's just a, a diversion. The, the glaring point, the takeaway from that statement is the fact that she does not deny and is preceded by words, I would never take actions or decisions that could jeopardize an investigation. She doesn't say she didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm. You're right. That's a that's an interesting thing to point out there as well, Andy. I mean, this is a question. I, I don't know how much you are able to answer this, but you can probably answer it better than I can. What is the relationship between the public safety minister and the RCMP commissioner supposed to be? Because oftentimes we hear from both sides how it's very independent, and and I mean, even going back to the Freedom Convoy, for example, the government would always lean back on, oh no, no, we we don't direct the RCMP. We don't tell them what to do. And in this case, it's it's a very clear-cut example of the minister, the prime minister's office telling the RCMP what to do about a, an active investigation. And, and yes, I, th I think it's very understandable, as Brenda Lucky says in her statement here, that there would be information flowing between the commissioner and the minister, but information is not direction. And, and it seems like if a promise is being made, we're passing beyond just briefings about an active shooting that's correct yeah and the key that's another key word in that statement is briefings it's there's there's like i was trained in forensic interviewing so and the, the premise of forensic interviewing is is that 
you can't hide deception. It doesn't matter how clever you are with language or anything. You cannot hide the fact that a document is deceptive or what's behind it is deceptive. And the statement by Commissioner Brenda Lucky, in my opinion, is deceptive. The, uh, the briefings, that's, that, that one word says there was a lot going on there especially when you look at how the, the whole thing is structured. She also goes on to say this is standard procedure. Well, maybe under this government, what has become the new standard procedure is not what would have been. And back to your question that you asked me, uh, a commissioner should be absolutely independent, rock solidly independent from any sort of political interference. And when I served uh, in the RCMP, I, had, I was involved in a case that had a great deal of political override to it at no point was there ever any interference ever um and i and that was a that was a, that was a national case international conspiracy if ever there would have been any interference there would have been on that case and there wasn't and i was the lead officer in that there were, I mean, there have been examples where police complaints have been filed against the government. I, I believe the RCMP, I, if I, I might be mixing up the cases, but I le believe the RCMP at one point uh, may have looked into the SNC-Lavalin affair. I believe at one point they might have even looked into uh, some other things. And it's not to say that they were ever close to the point of charging anyone connected to the government. But the reason I, I share that is because the RCMP is supposed to be so independent from the government that they could be in a position to investigate and if necessary, lay charges against the government, whichever government that is. So you don't have that independence at all, in my view, if you're at the point where promises are being made tied to legislation. I mean, ideally, I would assume that police are there regardless of what the gun legislation is, they're going to enforce the law. They're going to uphold the law. So they should have no vested interest whatsoever in whatever the liberals decide to ban on the firearms front. And I, I guess that's the, the thing here. Were they doing it because they supported the legislation or were they doing it be because they supported the government? Either way, they're, they're pushing beyond the neutrality they're supposed to have. I don't know. I mean, we don't know the answer to that. Uh, clearly, the government was looking at using this horrific, uh, the worst ever shooting rampage in Canadian history as some sort of springboard for their legislation. It's just, it's horrific. It's, it's blood chilling, the, the fact that they even consider that. And recently, we've seen that with Uvalde, Texas. What was it? The day mm -hmm. after they announced that they have the new legislation or made the announcement that new legislation was going to be tabled. I mean, you don't do that. But this government does. And I believe this commissioner, and, and there are many colleagues of mine uh, serving and retired who, who share the opinion I'm about to express, is that she submitted a long time ago to political interference and pressure. She yielded to that. I mean, we've seen recently in the Emergencies Act, we've seen back to SNC-Lavalin, uh, the systemic racism narrative. Um, and, there's, and there's another one here which... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll steer away from other than a mention unless you choose to pursue it. But what's happening here is a mass murder. So when you see the MP uh, that you had on the on the opening clip, I looked at the rest of his questions and question period, and I looked at the rest of Bill Blair's answers. Um, they talk about a criminal investigation. Yes, this is a criminal investigation. But let's be really specific here. This is 22 people killed. It's the worst ever of this type in Canadian history. It's a mass murder. And this government, and this is not the first time this has done this. There's an, another mass murder in Canadian history, flight PS752, 
which this same commissioner refused to open up a criminal investigation, which is in disregard for all the provisions of the criminal code, and in fact, even it goes against a Supreme Court a case law. Now, I'm involved with that, and I'll, I, I won't go any further in that right now, but I, from my own unique perspective, I look at the statement by Commissioner Lucky that I see right beside me here on the screen, and I look at the letter that was written by Commissioner Lucky in July of last year to the families. And if you look at the style of writing, as I've been trained to do, and you look at how she answers, it's very, very similar. There's a lot of stuff in here that's just meant to divert attention, but the bottom line, and you caught it, was that she does not deny the allegation of political interference. I believe that is where your answer lies. Mr. Blair can stand up in Parliament and say no one repeatedly all the times he wants. He's not fooling, you know, he's not fooling myself, for example. Andy Brook, former RCMP officer, thanks for coming on today. Thank you for your service, sir. We'll have to get you back on to talk about the, uh, the flight uh, as well, because I know that's a, a very important issue. So thank you. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. All right. That was Andy Brooke joining us live. Always good to get the policing perspective on, on this. And, you know, I've heard from a lot of police officers that don't hold Brenda Lucky in very high esteem. And it's not because of her, you know, record as a police officer. I think it's because it does seem, and I, I think Andy used the word submitted, it does seem like she's become essentially an unofficial member of cabinet by now. And, and there have been a number of examples on this. And it's not just the RCMP. I, I think it's a lot of institutions in general that seem to be operating as agents of the liberals rather than in the independent manner they're supposed to be. Uh, before I bring on my next guest, I want to play another clip from question period today of Bill Blair, again, giving what seems on the surface like a clear answer, but one that does not go in line with the documentary record that the inquiry in Nova Scotia has unearthed. Take a look at Dane Lloyd's question to Bill Blair. Speaker, it's becoming increasingly clear why this government wanted to have a secret inquiry on this. In a statement yesterday, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky did not deny that she promised the Minister of Emergency Preparedness that she would release information surrounding the Nova Scotia mass shooting. People are not in the habit of making promises unless they're asked to do so. Did the Minister of Emergency Preparedness or his staff at any time ask the Commissioner to publicly release information regarding the Nova Scotia mass shooting, yes or no? Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The very short answer to the member's uh, question is no. And, and, and finally, I would, I would point out again to the, to the Commissioner's statement in which she said, I take the principle of police independence extremely seriously, and it has been and will continue to be fully respected in all interactions. Mr. Speaker, that's the facts. So... I will say, and I mentioned this earlier, I'm not used to getting yes or no answers. So uh, it's oddly unsatisfying because on the one hand, it's a yes or no answer. On the other hand, it's just so clearly not accurate and consistent with the evidence that's been put forward by people in that meeting, by someone in the meeting and, and picked up by the committee. Dane Lloyd, who asked that question, the conservative emergency preparedness critic who has the unenviable task of trying to hold Bill Blair to account in question period, joins me on the line now. Dane, I, again, this is I'm not used to seeing yes or no answers. Uh, you got the answer, but did you really? Well, thanks for having me on, Andrew. I think this is my first time on your show. Real pleasure. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Thank you. And, 
you know, we're going to continue to fight on this. I mean, the minister uh, gave a clear no answer, but I think this is, there's still questions. I mean, uh, did the minister, did somebody from his office do it that he's not aware of? Is the minister not telling the truth? Did the commissioner uh, proactively reach out to the government and say, hey, I would like to get this information released so that we can help with your gun control agenda? I mean, uh, the minister's answer doesn't settle anything. I think it, it just w- leads us down more paths that we're going to explore this. One thing that came up in the SNC-Lavalin affair is that there was a lot of wink-wink, things that were not explicitly demanded at a lot of points. I mean, in some cases, they were explicit. And I have to wonder if that was the case here. It, it gives Brenda Lucky and Bill Blair the cover to say, no, 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 we, we didn't demand this or we didn't ask for this. But we do know that Brenda Lucky conve- conveyed to her subordinates that she had made a promise. I, I mean, it may not have been that the government ordered it. It could have been that there was just this relationship where where it was implicit. And, and I know I'm speculating here, but I, I am seeing a lot of situations where this thing could have happened while their denials might technically be accurate. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's always the question of, is the government just being very technical about this matter? Um, I think the fact of the case is it's not a he said, she said scenario. There were multiple witnesses at the meeting with Commissioner Lucky and and at Public Safety Committee, we're certainly hoping to bring all of those witnesses to corroborate what Superintendent Campbell and what uh, civilian Leah Scanlon said in the commission's uh, report that uh, it was Minister Blair and the Prime Minister's office that were actively interfering in the communications related to the case, interfering in, through the commissioner to get evidence released in the case. And so we want to bring those people forward. And as we get more evidence, and, and as the evidence is proven by by further testimony, it's going to mount pressure on the government uh, to come clean about what really happened. And uh, we're not going to be satisfied until Canadians get the full truth on this. I know your job in the shadow cabinet is typically to hold the ministers to account. Your, your job is not to be the RCMP watchdog. But but when you look at this situation, where do you think the wrongdoing took place? Do you think it was in the RCMP or, or do you think it was in the minister's office and in the prime minister's office? Well, I, I don't think, you know, as partisan as, as the RCMP commissioner uh, appears to be in this case, um, if, if the allegations are true, um, it is. I find it highly unlikely that the, it wasn't the minister's office or the ministers or, or some uh, agent of the government that proactively sought uh, to get this information through the commissioner. Um, so I, I think absolutely it, it falls on the government uh, on this. I, I find it highly unlikely that the commissioner cooked up the scheme herself, especially considering the the testimony says that that she stated quite emphatically that she had promised the minister of public safety and the prime minister's office that she would get this information and that she would get it publicized. So I, I think this definitely is coming out of the government. I don't think this is something that the commissioner just cooked up on her own, but that doesn't let the commissioner off the hook because by doing this, the commissioner is compromising her nonpartisan status. And it's really eroding the trust that Canadians have in our institutions. And I was just on a panel with Evan Solomon and I got to say, Evan Solomon was really going after the liberals very hard on this. And the liberal on the panel said, you know, the conservatives and people should stop questioning on this because it's undermining trust in our institutions, to which I push back that it's preposterous. The very trust that we have in our institutions is predicated on a democracy where people have the right to question and to hold these institutions to account. And so for the liberals to say that we shouldn't be asking these questions uh, completely misses the mark and, and really undermines democracy and undermines our institutions far more than any questions that I might ask as a member of the opposition. 
Well, and I know another issue that you've been uh, trying to hold the government to account on has been the invocation of the Emergencies Act to, to respond to the Freedom Convoy. And I, we don't need to get into that in too much depth, but I, I would point out, as I, I said earlier in the show, that when it came to that, the government was all about, oh, no, no, the police are independent. We don't direct them. We don't call the shots. When there were blockades of uh, infrastructure related to anti-pipeline protests, same thing. It was, no, 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 we, we don't direct police. It's not our job. The RCMP is independent. And then when it comes to this story, it seems like, well, you know, maybe the RCMP could help us with this gun control thing we want to put forward if they would just, you know, give the give the public a little bit of this information that they don't want to give, which may on the surface seem inconsequential to a lot of people. But I, I think fundamentally, it's the dynamic and the relationship of, of are the RCMP able to make these decisions uh, in a silo or are they making them because it's what the PMO wants for legislative and political advantage. And, and it is a convenient divergence from when the government wants to claim total RCMP independence in all of these other cases. Well, we all know that governments like to have their uh, cake and eat it too. Um, but one thing, you know, the, the Liberals, you know, haven't said it outright, but what they're implying is that Superintendent Campbell in his handwritten notes uh, is lying. And it's very uh, interesting that uh, in the SNC-Lavalin case, it was the handwritten notes of uh, former Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould that really sank the government's agenda. So we're seeing how valuable these handwritten notes that are taken at the time uh, can be in these cases. But I find it very interesting that uh, Superintendent Campbell noted that the commissioner told him that there was pending gun control legislation coming up. These notes uh, were taken at a meeting on April 28th, and the government announced their ban on 1,500 uh, versions of firearms on May 4th. So if the superintendent is lying, how could he have known that the government just six days later was going to be announcing gun control legislation unless the RCMP commissioner did in fact tell him that in the meeting? And how would the RCMP commissioner have known if the government had not told her that this was coming up? So I think, uh, you know, there's a lot uh, to dive in here. And I think the government's very worried about this. Yeah, that's actually a, a fantastic point, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the timeline. I mean, Andy Brooke mentioned earlier in the show that there's a lot of credibility given to notes that are taken immediately after a meeting, which uh, Superintendent Campbell's were, but you are right. I mean, the firearms legislation, the gun control he was talking about there was not yet in the public domain. Now, obviously, it, it's possible that the RCMP would have been invited to consult on, on this and, and whatnot, but the point is, for that to have trickled down to the Nova Scotia RCMP... Uh, uh, suggests, yeah, it, it likely did come from Commissioner Lucky, and, and in that moment, it has the ring of truth, as they say, that it came in the context of, you know, calling them to the carpet and calling them to task for uh, not doing what the Liberal government wanted them to do in those briefings. Well, another thing that I find interesting, and I know you're talking about this with your previous guests, but it's pretty clear from what the RCMP commissioner in her explanation or attempt at an explanation that was sent out last night, that she doesn't deny that she made this promise to the government. What she's denying is that she interfered in the case. And what I think is interesting is that she might not have interfered in the case in the sense that she had any real impact. It appears that the Nova Scotia superintendent actually stood his ground and pushed back against the commissioner and, and chose not to release this information. I don't think it was made public until uh, several months later. So is the government trying to claim, well, we didn't interfere in the case because they weren't successful? but they still attempted to interfere in the case. Um, I think that could be maybe the technicality the government's trying to get off on is that, you know, they just weren't successful in interfering. Therefore, uh, they didn't interfere. But that doesn't mean that they didn't try. Uh, do you think Commissioner Lucky should resign? 
I think that we need to have a full investigation on this. And if it's shown that the commissioner attempted to uh, interfere in an active criminal investigation, particularly for the purpose of advancing the political agenda of the government, then absolutely, I think the minister, uh, the commissioner would have to resign. So if these allegations are true, she should be gone. Uh, she's not the only one who should be gone. I mean, uh, if these allegations are in fact true, uh, then I think there would be a, a minister, uh, at least a minister, who would also who would also have to lose their portfolio over this. Yeah, I mean, I looking at this just on the surface, I don't see how Bill Blair and or Commissioner Lucky survive to the end of the week politically. But I also know this government has a habit of avoiding this and making someone else the fall guy or fall gal from it to be gender equal here. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll be told when Justin Trudeau gets back from Rwanda that this is all just a learning opportunity for us. But but I don't see how when you have this in black and white, there could be a situation where where no one is held accountable for it well what i think is going to happen and and for for your viewers who might not know parliament's probably only going to be sitting for one more day and then we rise for the the summer recess now that doesn't mean that at public safety committee we're going to let down our guard i mean we're already uh, uh moving forward with a motion to uh to bring the commissioner and bring other witnesses to the public safety committee over the summer so that we can keep investigating this issue so conservatives are not going to be dropping the ball on this we're going to keep up the fight uh to get the truth on this for canadians but what i think we're going to see from the government is they're they're going to use the absence of question period the absence of parliamentary debate um to just continue to stonewall the way they have to deny to deflect to blame other people um, but as you keep pulling on those strings, and I think this is what I saw with the Emergencies Act, you know, my biggest reflection is that for months we were asking the exact same questions. I was asking the exact same questions of the government month after month after month. And then as you keep pulling on those threads, eventually you get something. And that's when we found out that, you know, what the Minister of Public Safety had been saying about police recommending. We kept pulling on the threads, asking each of the police, and then we determined that the police had never uh, recommended that the Emergencies Act be used. And so I think it's the same thing in this case, is we're going to keep pulling on threads. Um, but I think we have a very strong case here because we have these handwritten notes. We have multiple witnesses. And and once you see these dominoes start falling, I think it's going to get very quickly, uh, go very quickly. Uh, but to get that first domino to fall, it might take a little bit of time and, and continual pressure. And that's what we're going to do. Conservative Emergency Preparedness Critic Dane Lloyd. Dane, thanks for coming on today. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, that was Dane Lloyd. We played a, a clip of him getting, uh, like I said, an odd binary answer from a cabinet minister in question period. But as we look at this and, and look at the documentary evidence beyond just the blanket denial from Bill Blair and the non-denial apology from uh, Commissioner Brenda Lucky, uh, it's clear there's something here. And I think it's that classic uh, idiom of, of there being fire where you find smoke. I know that's not the wording of it, but you know what I mean. Uh, you know, I let me just close on this thought here. I, I think what we've seen in the liberals is, for starters, perpetual scandal, whether it was the, I don't know, the Kokanee situation or the Agacon Bahamas Island or SNC-Lavalin or We Charity or RCMP or other related things like this, a continual stream of scandal. And there don't seem to be political consequences to the liberals for any of these things. And part of it comes down to timing. 
I mean, Dane mentioned that we're heading into the summer months, Parliament's about to rise, we're not going to have question period. Very similar thing happened with the Wee scandal, remember, where the Finance Committee was investigating it, Parliament gets prorogued, all the committees get dismantled, and the documents, there was that famous press conference of Pierre Polyev and the uh, Michael Barrett, the ethics critic, getting up there with all the blacked out uh, redacted documents that they were given as part of this, oh, you know, supposedly transparent disclosure of documents. Uh, but the summer months were ultimately helpful to the government for just resetting, moving on, and not having to have real accountability through the political process. A very similar thing happened with the investigation into the biosecurity lab in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Very similar thing. Election, summer, it all sort of interferes here. So, and again, the, the timing is what it is. I don't think the timing itself is deliberate. I think it's just very convenient. And the problem is when summer breaks and winter breaks last so long, it's easy to have periods where parliament is just not in session when there's a scandal going on. But there's a bigger story here that has often been missing, which is the corruption of institutions at the hands of the liberal government. Every supposedly independent institution effectively is deputized and becomes deputized by the government. When the RCMP get up there, and start talking about, oh, systemic racism just after the government starts talking about systemic racism. And when they're talking about, oh, this type of firearm and this type of firearm after the government's decided to ban them. I mean, in this case, you had a police officer that wouldn't do that, it sounds like, and was then uh, chastised and reprimanded for not doing that. But all of this is akin to an example of corrupting the RCMP for political gain. And whatever your issues are with the RCMP as an institution, I mean, whether it's that they're too secretive, they're too closed off, they're not transparent, all of these are fair criticisms. I've had, uh, I've had access to information requests with the RCMP that have taken years, and in the end, they don't even hand over the documents. So it, it's not an institution that does particularly good, a, a particularly good job at being transparent. And then all of this makes you wonder if this is perhaps why. Because they have allowed themselves, and maybe it's institutional, maybe it's just Brenda Lucky, I don't know, but they have allowed themselves to become part of the liberals. And it's not that you want police that are going to be pushing back against the government. You want police that you can trust will just do their jobs irrespective of what the government does. If the liberal government decided to ban a bunch of guns, the RCMP would say, okay, we're enforcing the law. If the liberal government decided they were going to legalize and unprohibit a bunch of guns, the RCMP would say, okay, we're going to enforce the law. It's not for police to be a counterbalance on policy, nor is it their job to be a champion of policy. So when they are as an organization making decisions, not in a silo, not about the investigation, but based on what would be in the best interest of the government's legislative agenda, that is political corruption through and through. Whether it happened because Brenda Lucky just wanted to do it, because she unilaterally made a promise, or because there was a wink-wink, or because she was explicitly directed to, does not matter. It is political corruption in the RCMP. Dane Lloyd said if the allegations are true, she's got to go. Bill Blair certainly should not be far behind her. That does it for us for today. We'll be back later this week with more of The Andrew Lawton Show, including the continuation of the Conservative Leadership Series. The next uh, in this... In, uh, in the, I'm trying to remember. I think, yes, the next in the series is 
versus Patrick Brown, but we've got interviews with all of the leadership candidates coming in the weeks ahead, so don't miss those. Thank you very much for all of your kind words about it. And just one shameless plug to end off the show here, the Freedom Convoy, the inside story of three weeks that shook the world, comes out Friday, and uh, this morning I learned that we were the number two best-selling non-fiction book on Amazon last week, which is a great honor. Now, I, I, as much as it's an honor, I want us to get to number one at least once. So if you haven't bought your copy yet, do head on over to Amazon or your local bookstore on Friday and pick up a copy. And thank you so much to all of you who already have. We'll be back later this week with more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.